Chapter 48 A Willful Blade Do you hear that? Fallow said. Water. They emerged from the inky black of the corridor into twilight. A clear sky full of stars stood overhead, framed by the jagged edges of a collapsed dome. The rotunda was enormous, easily the size of the nave of the Cathedral of Till back in Starside. A fountain stood in the center of the debris-strewn floor. It did not spray high into the air like the one on the boulevard. This burbled from a huge marble flower, spilling in clear sheets over the petals to splash on bits of crumbled roof that had fallen into the pool. That water overflowed the fountain wall and streamed away in a shallow channel that bisected the room. A huge oak tree sprouted from the broken tile to one side of the fountain. Its thick trunk rose to a glorious crown. The leaf edges caught the starlight, making them luminous with silver. A man stood at the base of the tree, two-handed sword tipped down on the tile. His armor was stained with the patina of age, dust, and even a bit of moss on his shin guards. His head was bowed, and for a moment Fallow thought him a very lifelike statue, but then he raised his head. His skin was dark, irises black, hair bluish black. He leaned forward as he raised his weapon into a guard position. With sharp jerks of his knees, he broke his boots free from the tile, where time had apparently cemented them. He has not moved for a thousand years, Zirhin said. A rush of sigil tinian came from his lips. Fellow didn't understand it, but the meaning was clear. This is another test, he said. A first-race warden, Zirhin said. My mentor would have paid any price to meet him. The price may be our lives, the cloak said. He stepped forward, Toswin in hand, but not raised. Fallow, listen. But Fallow already had his eyes closed, seeking guidance from the strange force that had guided them this far. Lop squeezed free of his satchel and went to the water flowing from the fountain. She daintily lapped at the spillage. She hadn't spared the warden the slightest glance. The man stood on the opposite side of the canal, poised between two thick, gnarled roots of the tree. The starlight was too dim to make out the true color of his armor, but the blue glow of Zerhin's spit blobs reflected in azure sparks from his teeth and blade, which was unsullied by the accumulation of time. The cloak swept the cape of his black cloak back from his right shoulder, freeing his sword arm. At his most effusive, the cloak was a stolid man, but the warden made him look agitated by comparison. The warden stepped one foot back and pulled the hilt to his cheek, sword point forward. A more aggressive stance, an invitation to battle. The cloak raised Tasuin, flames flickering along its length. The light cast his own shadow behind him, the orange catching fire in his eyes. I do not wish to spar with you, honored warden. But we have been drawn here by the Shadline Pole to find a fate's peace. If what we discover must be removed from the city, I vow to return it, if such be practicable. If not, 
I vow it shall be used in service of goodness, not evil, for honor, not depravity. And when its service be done, it shall be given a place of honor, if any such place remains in this world. Fellow had heard men speak of vows before. Merchants made them all day every day. Vow was a sideways word when such men used it, a promise they hoped to break at the soonest possible moment. But when the cloak used it, Fallow felt the oath seal about the man, and just for an instant he thought a hazy glow appeared around the man's head, an aura of eldritch light. The warden spoke again, this time enunciating each word very slowly, the way one might speak to a child. Alisuandish veniskash. The accent was very different from Fallow's Donsmaster Tudor, but the words slowly sank in. Did he just tell the cloak he was going to uh, castrate him? More or less, Zirheen said. Actually, more. She spoke louder so the cloak could hear. He's taunting you, seeking to provoke you into attacking. There were four exits from the chamber. One they'd entered, two blocked with rubble, the last stood open beyond the tree. To get there would mean crossing the channel, an easy leap of five feet. Fallow knew that setting foot on that side would prompt the warden to attack. Lop leapt over. What's wrong with you? Fallow sent. That tree is interest. The warden sprang into the air, sword drawn back, arcing straight toward the cat. Lop! Though she'd put on a bit of cushioning during the boat trip down the Sagmarsh Wash, Lop was still half her old starside weight. The warden had too far to fly to catch her by surprise. She scurried directly toward him so that he carried over her head. A swipe of his blade severed a tuft of fur from her tail. In three bounds, she made the tree trunk and was clambering up and onto the lowest limb. She spat at the warden, fur up, tail floofed out. The warden landed with a crunch, then calmly stalked back to the tree. He tilted his head up, studying the cat just out of reach. Climb higher, you idiot. He can jump high enough to swing at you. For a wonder, Lap obeyed and was soon lost among the leaves, her passage betrayed only by the shaking of limbs ever higher. The warden looked up, then looked at the cloak, then proceeded to begin hacking his sword into the trunk. Even with a proper axe, such a task would take hours, maybe even days for one man. The trunk was at least five feet across. I'm hearing nothing, the cloak said, except that I must not fight him. Zirheen? Nothing. Fallow? He raised his face to the stars and closed his eyes, not to listen, but to beg the heavens to know why it always fell to him to decide what they must do. The unfortunate truth was that he didn't hear anything either, except the steady crunch and whack of the warden's two-handed sword biting into the ancient tree trunk, and Fallow's instincts only pulled him to go through the door behind the tree, they had no opinion about the warden. And then he had it. You have to stay here, Cloak Einlan. The warden will let me pass. And me? Zirheen asked. You'd better not test it. The fern eater Shadline did not look best pleased. Fallow eyed the jump, then leapt. 
His feet struck the opposite side. The warden stopped his chopping and turned to face him. Fallow waggled old Rusty, blue glow on the tip tracing a wobbly line in the air. Just going through, Sir Warden. Proceed with your chopping. He made little swings with his blade. The warden stared at him a second longer, then turned back to his task. Zirheen landed beside Fallow. The warden stopped, and this time he did not turn to look, but sprang, spinning in midair, sword coming down at Zirheen. She threw reft toward his head, his killing blow diverted to strike the curved blade aside. Zirheen rolled under the next blow as Fallow backpedaled and nearly toppled into the fountain. The woman popped up, hand out to receive reft as it returned, just in time to bring it up and catch the warden's blade as it swung for a decapitating strike. The force of it knocked her onto her side. The cloak stood his ground, watching, but not joining the fight. Such restraint must have cost him dearly, but he was a true shadline. He listened and obeyed. Fallow did not need such subtle guidance, survival imposing its own imperatives on his body. He dodged in a wide circle to stay out of the arc of the warden's blade, making for the doorway. Zirheen, desperate to escape, rolled along the floor. She deflected another blow, catching the warden's blade in Reft's curve, then threw a spray of dust into the warden's face. Alish, she cried. The powder whooshed alight in sickly green. The warden grunted and fell back, covering his eyes. Zerheen jumped across the canal. The warden coughed and sneezed and blinked furiously. When his hand came away, half his face was blistered from her fiery attack. He stooped to splash fountain water on his wounds, then returned to the tree and began to hack. But Fallow, he let pass. Not because I'm special, Fallow thought. It's all rusty. Has to be. Don't let him kill Lop, he called as he plunged through the exit. Don't let them kill you, beloved one, he sent. Don't let her kill you, Lop sent back. Fallow didn't bother asking what Lop meant. He knew. He'd known since he'd seen the fresco. The passage continued on, presumably to more gardens and domes and towers and galleries. But Fallow stopped by a closed wooden door. It was finely made, hung upon lovely hinges carved to look like vines around flower stalks. It opened without making so much as a whisper of sound, revealing a stairwell. Up he went, feeling the pull ever more strongly. Soon he was running, taking the steps two at a time. When he reached the top, his brow was damp and his shirt clung to his back. Another door, just like the one below. He knocked. The chamber within was sparsely furnished, a cot on one wall, a writing table with ink pots and quills, a bookshelf held perhaps two dozen volumes. The woman stood in the center of the room, barefoot upon a thick rug. Just like the warden, she was perfectly still. Fallow thought her rather underdressed, a loose blouse, laces undone, hem falling to mid-thigh, loose pants that cinched around her shins with knotted laces. A dagger lay upon the rug near her feet. The skeleton of a small animal was sprawled behind her. Recalling a bit of etiquette from his childhood, Fallow made a leg, Queen Elysian, 
You are looking well, considering your, uh, age. The dagger drew up from the ground. It shot straight at him. Reflex brought old Rusty to bear, but the incoming blade stopped just out of reach. It hung in the air, spotless as the day the smith had finished crafting it. It was a twin to old Rusty. The same length, the same angles, the same hilt. But this one was clean and bright, not a scratch or nick in the steel. But it wasn't the fate's piece fellow had come for. Ilis alt alma ish etel, she said. Fellow realized he still had Zirheen's spit blob on his blade, torn between alarm at being nearly skewered by a flying dagger and his embarrassment at using a Shadline relic as a sort of stick, he failed to translate the woman's words. She hadn't moved anything but her lips, and that had been very slight, the way puppet talkers did it to make it look like their hand creatures were truly speaking. You can't move, can you? he said, lowering old Rusty and wiping the blob onto his sleeve. The threatening dagger did not move. That had to signify something good, he thought. He guessed it was old Rusty that kept the death stroke at bay. He held it up, hilt between thumb and forefinger to show it to the queen. Didn't come here to get into a scrap with you, your majesty. Just following the old Shadline call. He didn't know if the first race thought of their weapons as relics, or if they were as mundane as buckets and chairs. Ilis alt anwald ish tell. She spat the words out more slowly this time. Fellow repeated them back, puzzled. Don't's masters put separation between words in the sigil tine tongue, but this woman was blending them all together and putting emphasis on the wrong syllables. He hazarded a step sideways. The blade followed, the point aimed at his forehead. He had no doubt it could puncture his ugly skull and make a quick hash of his brain. No matter how often he repeated her phrase, he wasn't able to parse the words, so he gave up. The fate's piece was here, behind the woman, he thought. He continued to circle, keeping a close eye on the hovering blade. Elysian did not turn to face him. She had access to her Mercus power and enough control to move her lips, but she was trapped in that stance. A thrill of horror swept through him as he thought of the torture of being imprisoned in such a manner for a thousand years. More than that, likely. The floating blade allowed him to walk a wide perimeter around her until he could see that the fate's piece was not behind her. It must be on her person. He waggled his lips side to side as he considered the prospect of searching her for it. He wouldn't mind a bit of a snuggle up with her. A thousand years old or no, she didn't look much past thirty. But he didn't like the idea of groping her while she was frozen. It was one thing to be a scoundrel, quite another to be a villain. He finished his circle. Speaking Elnissian hadn't been of particular interest to him as a pupil. He could read it rather slowly. He could understand his tutors, usually. Now he wished he'd been a more diligent student. Might as well wish for a delicate brow and a fine jaw while I'm at it. He scratched his scraggle of whiskers and pieced together what he could of a question. Glenny real knee boo? He hoped that it was why don't you move, but he worried it might be don't you shoo? Her eyes moved fractionally. Atel. Atel, Atel, Atel. 
You've got my wagon wheel and a mudgum, Majesty. I don't know that word, I think. But maybe he did know it. Etel? Emphasis on the first syllable. Now that was a word he did know. Ink? He said. The cloak would trust the guess, he decided. He edged to the desk and inspected the ink pots. He uncorked one. The stopper crumbled in his hands. The ink had long ago dried up. He sniffed it and noted a bit of oak gall. He returned to Elysian's line of sight and held up the pot. It flew from his hand as she took it with her Mercus power. It floated close to her eyes. Hacked! There was a mournful tone in her exclamation, enough so that Fellow was sure her word meant dry. He held out his hand. Julni, please. He motioned for her to float it back to him. She did. His skin tingled for a moment, and he was sure she'd searched him with some mercusine trick or other. He thought he knew what she wanted him to do, so he set about reconstituting the ink with a rather arduous round of spitting. The dry ink dust inside the pot soaked it up like desert soil. He quickly saw he was never going to get it done this way. Begging your pardon, Majesty, but I'm going to have to, er, excuse myself for a moment. He put old Rusty in its scabbard and backed from the room. Closing the door, he was left in darkness save for the fading blue of the spitblob smear on his sleeve. He considered going all the way down to the fountain chamber for water, but decided upon a more expedient measure. He unfastened his trousers and did what was needed to get more liquid into the ink pot. The excess went onto a wall. He hoped the queen would forgive him for that. He returned to her chamber and retrieved a quill. He brought them to the queen's vision. Atel? He was relieved to see her dagger had retreated to hover near her head. This allowed him to approach, which he did very slowly. The inkpot and quill tore from his hands. It seemed she could not move anything she could not see. He scrounged around her desk until he found a blank sheet of parchment. It was beyond brittle and fell into flakes the moment he touched it. He went for the books. These seemed in better shape. He didn't bother scanning titles. All he wanted was a blank page. So he was mightily pleased when he found a book with mostly blank pages in it. The first few were used up with a crudely drawn map, the following with dozens of symbols. He brought it round and presented a spread of blank pages to Her Majesty's attention. The quill dipped and came forward to scribble. It did not take long, which Fallow was grateful for. The inkpot gave off a rather unpleasant stench. When the quill retreated, he turned the book to see what she'd written. He was delighted to discover that she had forgone using words and instead had drawn two images. They were simple, barely sketches, but they contained all he needed to know. The first showed a spray of fountain and a man holding a two-handed sword, the warden. The second showed the same fountain, but the warden now lay on the floor, his head parted from his body. She wanted him to kill the warden. This seemed like an exceedingly bad idea. I came for a fate's peace, not to meet my fate. I don't want to seem a fox-handed tavern lout, but if you'll just let me check your pockets, I can get what I came for and leave you alone. A quick bit of inspection showed she did not have pockets, nor was she wearing any jewelry. A new certainty came over him, and it made him utter a good long string of obscenities. 
Alice, how? The dagger again came forward, but this time it rotated, presenting the hilt. Fallow reached for it, not seeing how two daggers were going to help him defeat an armored expert warrior with a two-handed sword. The moment his palm contacted the hilt, his back arched and a great heave of breath shot from his lungs. Sweet kill and a crib! His vision blurred as shudders of ecstatic ache flowed from the base of his spine through the top of his skull. It felt like rays of pure light were shooting from the crown of his head. A single word came into his mind. Sky. And then the queen's blade, the dragon-tooth sister to old Rusty, settled its bond onto him. The ecstatic bonding finally relaxed and he fell to the floor, panting. He raised his eyes and discovered the queen's face had gone slack. Her shoulders rose and sank on deep breaths. Then she swayed and fell forward. Fallow had to drop Skye to keep from stabbing the woman as she collapsed directly onto him. He gathered her up and carried her to the bed. He flopped her rather unceremoniously onto it. The legs of the bed gave under her and crashed to the floor. A great gout of dust rose from the linens, making Fallow cough. He went to a window and inadvertently ripped the latch completely off. Everything in this room was in lousy shape despite outward appearances. He put an elbow through the pane and fresh air tumbled in. He retrieved Skye and held it next to old Rusty. Been a while, hasn't it? he said to them. He was relieved when neither of them spoke. But it wasn't much relief, because the fate's piece he'd come for was not the Shadline Blade. It was the woman herself, it seemed. And he knew that to leave this place without her would be to endure the pull of her on his mind for the rest of his life. But to take her with him would require defeating the warden. A quick death is better than a life of torture, he said, quoting his father. He realized his father might have been foreshadowing his attempt to have Fallow killed. No sense in carrying the queen down the stairs if he was going to die. He went to her and shifted her limbs to make sure she was reasonably comfortable. Pardon a gropes, Majesty, just making sure you don't have to spend eternity with a bad cramp. He pulled away, but her hand lashed out to grab his wrist. There wasn't much strength in her grasp, but she pulled on him. He bent forward to listen to whatever unintelligible thing she might have to say, but instead of speaking, she grasped his head with her hands and blazed his mind with murkacine power. When she released him, he felt rested, stronger. Thank you, he said. He'd have to ask Kyla why she'd never bolstered her friends in dire situations. The new strength gave him a spark of confidence, so he bounded down the steps and into the chamber of the fountain. The warden was still hacking away at the tree. Lop peered down from a high branch. I'm going to die, Lop, Fallow sent cheerfully. He held a dagger in each hand. He rolled his shoulders and made some sweeps and jabs to loosen up. The cloak and Zirheen watched from across the canal. Fallow didn't look at them and he didn't answer their calls. He strode to the warden. Warden, stop chopping and let's have at it. The man surely didn't understand Fallow's words, but he understood Fallow's tone. He turned, sword resting on his shoulder. His stare dropped to sky, then raised. 
There was resignation in his eyes as he bowed slightly, then moved into a guard pose. Perfect equanimity. Fellow didn't know a pose for fighting with two blades, so he mirrored his foe. Right leg back, side on. Right leg back, side on, sky forward, old Rusty near his ear. The warden swung. The air sang with the ferocity of the effort. Not much time to consider his choices, which were parry, duck, jump, retreat, or attack. Against all rationality, he chose a duck and parry, with both daggers overhead and angled to divert the oncoming blade's power rather than to stop it. Steel scraped on steel as the daggers deflected the blow, and the warden's momentum twisted his torso around. Fellow lunged, both blades piercing the man's breastplate as if it were made of cloth. It would be a killing blow for any man. Something charged through Fallow, like an echo of skies bonding. The double strike sent strength from the warden into his own body. Fallow's vision shuddered, and a tremendous moan escaped his lips. Zings of energy enlivened his arms and legs, a hundred times stronger than what Elysian had just given him. With a roar, Fallow stood, heaving upward, hoisting the warden, armor, sword, and flesh upon his blades. The man groaned and released his sword. The body struck ground. Fallow pulled the blades free and stabbed again. Leave my cat alone! This time the blades refused to come out, and again the warden's power flowed into him. The energy jolted into Fallow, making his arms jerk and his vision go red. It was too much. He tried to release the blades, but they would not release him. Even his teeth tingled and his eyes buzzed. Don't touch him, Einlan, Serheen warned. She was close by. What are they doing to him? The cloak demanded. I don't know. Finally, the surge faded. Fallow pulled his blades free. The warden's blood absorbed into the weapons. Sky looked as it had before, but old Rusty was rusty no more. It was now pristine, not a flaw on the blade. Even the leather wrap on the hilt was restored. But Fallow felt something else had changed, something in him. He staggered a bit as he turned to face his companions. Do I look different? For the first time ever, the cloak's eyes went wide with amazement. Zirheen's, too. Is my face worse? he said, panicking now. He was accustomed to frightening small children and making women whisper to each other whenever he passed. Have I grown horns or some such? No, 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 not, not worse, Zirheen said. You look much the same. Much? He pushed past them and knelt at the edge of the canal but there wasn't enough light on his face to show him a reflection. Zirheen whispered, Rush! And she produced a fresh blob of glowing spitweed. This time it shone with pure white light. My last fillshader leaf, she said. True sunlight. I can't get down, Lop sent. Get that sword and keep chopping. Fallow paid the cat no attention. His reflection had not changed, not much. His single eyebrow was still a thick black caterpillar over both eyes. His lips were still too thin, his cheeks and jaw weirdly shaped, chin too pointy. But his eyes, so dark brown everyone said they were black, had turned a light 
bluish gray. I can't decide if it makes me look like a ghoul or if it's rather dashing. That'll depend on your manner, lad, Zerheen said, but I can tell you that it means you have the blood of the first race in you. You haven't met my mother or father. If you had, you'd not have suggested such a preposterous thing. You did not get it from them. You got it from him. She pointed at the fallen warden. Through them, she nodded at the blades in Fallow's hands. Did you not feel a surge of power when you struck him? It looked rather painful. Oh, I felt it. The cloak knelt next to him, eyes flinty in the bright white of Zirheen's spitlight. Sky and telt, he said. It's no wonder you felt the pull so strongly. Clearly the blades sought to be reunited. Perhaps that was part of it, Fallow said, offering Sky for the man to inspect. He did not take it. But this isn't the fate's piece that pulled me here. That's still in the tower. Come. They did not balk at his tone of command, but merely followed. Wait, get me down, Lop sent. You have claws, use them. Lop sent the equivalent of a cat curse through the bond, a feeling of wet fur and a yanked tail. Fallow shrugged it off. He'd experienced far more disturbing sensations in the past quarter hour. They found Elysian right where Fallow had left her, but she was not at all the same. She was alive! Fallow was too repulsed by the withered, dry-skinned corpse to touch her hands. The youthful skin, the fierce eyes, looked sucked dry now. Such a pity! I would have loved to speak with her, Zirheen said. The cloak had spared only a moment's glance at the husk of a woman before beginning a patrol of the room. He seemed as agitated as Lop. Fallow explained what had happened. She only spoke Elnissian and nothing like what I was taught. It's actually a beautiful tongue, believe it or not. Oh, I believe it, Zirheen said wistfully. She placed a gentle hand on the shriveled brow. Who was she? Elysian. I assumed you knew. What? Not possible. She died. It was her. Same woman in a fresco I saw in Mizentine. And I think those bones on the rug are her cat. Sad, really. I don't think Lop would wait around more than a quarter hour if I were frozen like that. The cloak was standing just off the rug, looking at the cat bones. How are we going to move her? Fallow asked. Why would we? Zirheen said. It is ill to move the bones of the dead, save to the place of their final rest. This room is well suited for that purpose. But she is the fate's piece. That can't be. Why not? I was his, Fallow jabbed Sky in the cloak's direction. The man had knelt next to the cat bones and was picking through them. Suddenly he sucked in a breath. He held the small skull in his fingers. He turned it upside down. Something gleamed inside. Lop stomped into the room, fur soaked through. She meowed discontentedly and made a point to ignore Fallow. Instead, she stalked to the cloak and rubbed along his knees before nosing at the skull. Why is there a gem in that skull? Fallow asked, since neither of the others had deigned to voice the obvious question. The cloak tolerated Lop's intrusion, then set the skull down so the cat could sniff it. Suddenly she cried out in utter grief and curled her body over the skull. Do you know that cat? Fallow sent. 
Shadline, Zirhin said. Elysian is not the fate's piece. Look. She held her hand over the dead queen's face. A soft white glow illuminated her palm. It came from the corpse's eyes. Fallow knew she was right. The certainty clunked into place the way a well-notched roof beam slotted into wall timbers. Ah, me, he said. I think it's a curse to be a shadline. But the pull was too great to deny. Lop's grief over her departed ancestor flooded through the bond. Fallow accepted it and sent what comfort he could. Skye wanted to do the butcher's work, and it truly was not so bad as skinning a hare. There was no blood in the woman. Her skull parted and the gem shone brightly. It was larger than the cat's, but still no bigger than a chicken egg. He plucked it out, amazed and slightly revolted by the warmth of it. It was the fate's piece. That was certain. The journal there on the floor, he said. We must take that too. Zerheen collected it. The cloak stood. Move this cat. I need to see under the rug. The call has been fierce since I entered the room. Fallow scooped up Lop, who allowed herself to be stuffed in his satchel. He collected the cat skull gem. It glowed a lovely emerald green, while Elysians shone a pure white. He bundled them together so that the cat and queen could be together, then added this to the satchel where Lop could be close to them. The cloak flipped up the rug, sending cat bones tumbling. Zerheen scrambled to collect them, shooting the man an irritated glare. Beneath the rug was nothing but a relatively clean circle of the tile floor, but on the reverse of the rug, embroidered in miraculous detail, a map. Zerine, the cloak said, you have a steady hand with a quill. I most certainly do not. Do you take me for a scribe? she asked, still agitated by his disrespect for the cat bones. Fallow noted she was tucking them into her own satchel, probably to use in a fern-eater ritual. The cloak merely looked at her. Would you rely on any map drawn in my hand? I can try it, Fallow said. In truth, scribbling had never been a great skill. He tended to press too hard and leave huge blobs of ink to obliterate half his words. No, I must listen and obey, Zirheen said, gathering up the ink pot and quill, she sat before the rug, tongue clamped in her teeth, and began a meticulous copy in Elysian's blank journal. Her skill was extraordinary. I shall fetch the sword, the cloak said. He patted Fallow's shoulder fondly as he passed. It looks like we'll make the armory after all. If that map be true, the dearth will be satisfied. We will? How? Where? But the cloak was gone, footsteps fading as he descended from the tower. Fallow moved back to study the map. It was obviously of sigil tyne, including a large circle of the surrounding mountains. The context made clear that the city was sheltered in a bowl hidden in a vast range. But twisty paths led away from the city here and there, all ending in the same symbol, a vine-covered arch. A map of virgin passes, he said. Remarkable. Each had two symbols above it, they showed the destination or origin of the pass, but since they only went one way, the second symbol told that, too. Where will the armory be held? he asked. Tierling, Zirheen tapped an arch she'd already sketched in. 
but that's where we were headed, to go to the observatory to inquire about your sketch. She kept drawing, not seeming bothered in the slightest by the pungent odor of the ink that she used. Fellow decided it best not to tell her how it had been reconstituted. He noted that Lop had gone to sleep. Fellow's own burst of energy had quickly faded, and he felt as if he could sleep for a ten-day. Zerheen was soon satisfied with her copy of the map. She hastily collected as many of Elysian's books as she could carry. The cloak returned. He had fashioned a sort of scabbard for the warden's sword across his back, using a belt pulled from the dead man. Another undiscovered shadline blade? Fallow asked. The cloak nodded, but he didn't offer more. What's going to happen at this confab of shadlines and tearling? Fallow asked as they emerged from the palace of Thizruil. There were no Nazg ghosts about, but they were certainly watching. Zirheen led now, guiding them beyond the palace toward the south boundary of the city. A winding stair hewn into the slopes showed the way. A very long climb. I dare say the dearth will be astonished, the cloak said after a while. I shall enjoy seeing the looks on their faces when they see your dragon-toothed blades. They will not be best pleased, Zirheen said. Why not? Fallow sensed an odd sort of humor in their words, as if she and the cloak shared a joke. We all know a culmination comes, the cloak said. But the appearance of your blades presages the coming of the culmination. The Shad line have their own prophecies. The dragon blades are central to them, alas. But by Kill and his eighteen wives, it will be a glorious time to die. Zerheen did not seem so taken with the notion of glorious death. Elysian gave you that blade? she asked. Yes, she saw I had old Rusty. I guess that made me worthy. Until the dearth can advise you, do not use Sky. Best put it in your boot or in that satchel. I concur, the cloak said. I sense it is a willful blade. They had reached the stair. A wind had picked up, seeping down from the northern peaks, bringing with it a crisp chill. A thick wall of cloud came quickly after, shrouding the stars and leaving nothing but Zirheen's fading fill-shader light to guide them. And then that too failed. They stopped for a quick repast. Zirheen complained that she was nearly out of the weeds necessary to make even her blue light. Fallow suggested bringing out one of the skull gems they'd collected, but neither of the other shadlines wanted to do that. Lop didn't either. The darkness didn't matter to Fallow, for he quickly discovered he could see quite clearly. Thinking their faces hidden by the blackness, his companions' expressions betrayed concern whenever they looked at him. Zerheen produced enough spit blobs to light the steps before them. Their brief rest finished, they pressed upward. Kill them, whispered a subtle voice. Lop hissed. Who's talking? I think it's the new blade, fellow sent. Again came the voice. Kill them. No, they are my friends. Taste them. Behave yourself, fellow snapped. He felt Lop send a bit of ire toward the blade, the way she might at a littermate trying to snitch part of her chicken dinner. Old Rusty had never said anything. Fallow thought blades shouldn't be talking at all. Bad enough to have an insolent cat volunteering opinions all the time. 
Still, he couldn't fault the blade for wanting to do what it was made to do. Fellow's resistance seemed to irritate the blade, and it became sulky. In a way, it was a lot like Lop. I won't let a dagger boss me around, he sent to Lop. That's ridiculous. I like Skye, Lop sent. She's a bit whispery, so keep your ears perked. She might suggest something so softly you don't notice you're obeying. That sounded very much like a trick that Lop would use on Fallow, especially in her fat and happy days in Starside. You can rest easy, friends, Fallow said. I am in command of Skye. She wanted me to kill you, but I said no. I think Elysian commanded her, too. Lop's bond gives me the upper hand. He tucked Skye into his boot, no sense letting it be too close to hand. Old Rusty, Telt, can you talk too? No answer. And that was good. He trusted old Rusty. They climbed and climbed. It rained. They climbed. When was the last armory? He asked, more from distraction than curiosity. It annoyed him that neither had seemed surprised that Skye wanted them dead. He supposed their own instincts would warn them anyway if the force of destiny thought it necessary. Four hundred years at least, Zerheen said. The culmination comes. At last, the cloak said. The shadline rises. <laughs>